Locked away in attics, basements, and dark corners across the world are stories of beings and beasts that hide in the night. These are those stories. It's the Sleepless in Suburbia podcast. I'm Brooke, case manager for our team, and this is the audio recap of Case 112, Whitehurst Winery. We'd never heard of this supposed haunting until a message landed in our inbox. Anissa Parker, owner of Whitehurst Winery, sent us the following message on Facebook. I'm not sure where else to go for help. There is someone or something on the property of my vineyard that wants my daughter. Believe me, I know how that sounds. I've been told countless times that I'm losing my mind, and I'm starting to wonder if I'm going crazy. Please come investigate. Most of our investigative and research team are moms. Well, all of us except Lark, so we pretty much started packing our bags the second we heard a kid was involved in this case. You want to scratch me? Fine. Throw rocks? That's great too. But the second you start messing with a kid, living or dead, you've rubbed me the wrong way. Property details. Prue, our resident book nerd, librarian by day, kick butt researcher by night, connected with Anissa, getting us the basic lay of the land, all 150 acres of the land. There are five main regions of the sprawling 150-acre Whitehurst Manor property. First is the vineyard. You enter through a stone archway and wrought iron fence. You might have seen our picture of this on Instagram or Facebook. From there, you're greeted with row after row of Marquette grapes and chickens. Yeah, chickens. I was pretty shocked too, but apparently they are used as organic bug repellent. From there, we move on to the Briar Memorial Rose Garden. A heavy black wrought iron fence borders the Briar Garden. At the entrance into the garden is a plaque that reads, For our rose, may your soul bloom for eternity. Darby Rose Briar, 1879. A cobblestone path twists through every variety and color of rose imaginable. And as a little side note, if I'm being completely honest, I did not spend a great deal of time in the garden as bees seemed like a huge fan of the blooms, and like always, I forgot my freaking EpiPen. So I avoided the garden to avoid a trip to the emergency room. Next is the Pan Amphitheater. The Pan Amphitheater sits on the western edge of the property, nestled in an area of woods up a fairly steep slope in the landscape. Almost every element of the amphitheater is natural, from the grass used on the tiers to the rock and stone for walkways. It stretches about 50 feet wide and 25 feet back with a stage front and center. Then there's the carriage house. It's found at the end of a winding path down a hill from the main manor house. Its weathered white paint is crisscrossed by brown woodworked X's. It's small with just two bedrooms, one bathroom, and an open concept living room running into the kitchen. Anissa and her daughter Lily live here with their bouncy terrier mix bubbles. Finally, the largest building on the property, the main building or Whitehurst Winery. I half expected to find a gargoyle perched upon the steeped roof of this gothic beauty. It's made of gray stone and lined with ivy. There's four levels to the building, the basement, main level, second floor, and attic. Various rooms within the winery include a wine tasting area, a parlor for winery guests to sit and drink, ballroom for special events, offices, storage, 
and the wine cellar. There's one noticeable decorative flair throughout the entire manor house, roses. You'll even find random stained glass around the main house with roses front and center. And there's enough twinkle lights over various outdoor seating areas to make even the stars jealous. Team update. Five of the six days after receiving Anissa's message, I had short, vivid dreams. It was almost like a flash of a memory, like I was trying to see a scene through a slice of Swiss cheese. I couldn't see much of the dream besides fabric, blue fabric, swaying in circles in the wind or something like that. I I don't even know. And then there was this sound of staticky music. That was it. A flash of blue flowing fabric, staticky music, and I'd wake up. Usually dripped in sweat, breathing heavy, freaked out. I don't know what was going on with me. Since the property was so big, we took the entire team for this investigation. Lo, she's our no-nonsense skeptic, ran HQ, and made sure there was no funny business going on with the team or the investigation. Prue was paired with Ford. We knew one of two things would happen here. Prue would rein in Ford's anything-goes-I-fear-nothing enthusiasm, hopefully keeping her from breaking a bone or getting abducted by a ghost or alien or something, or Ford would drag Prue down the path of higher, faster, farther, scarier, come on, Prue, just one trip down this creepy alley. It was a crapshoot. Claire is our resident chicken little. Her strength is with numbers, which makes her a total freak. She's an accountant in the real world. She was a hard no on taking part in anything paranormal. We couldn't even get her to come over to watch our favorite paranormal reality shows on TV. That was until she walked out of her bathroom one night, a little after witching hour, and watched a three-legged black dog with red eyes run from the kitchen through a wall. After cleansing her house with exactly 75 pounds of sage, we talked her into chasing her fears instead of hiding from them, and she joined our team. Claire partnered with Lark for this investigation. Lark's the young blood of our group. She's my 20-year-old niece. She's more comfortable surrounded by stacks of books. Her and Prue are Dewey Decimal soul sisters, but being with Claire would force her out of her comfort zone. On location, we first dropped Prue and Lark off at the Essex History Society office for research before the rest of us met Anissa at Whitehurst. Here's a little of Lark and Prue's research on the history of Whitehurst Manor. The land was purchased by Jacob and Martha Breyer in 1874. Jacob Breyer made his fortune in coal mining, and work on the main house began right after the purchase of the land. The couple moved into the main house and soon welcomed their first child, Darby Rose Breyer, born April 1876. Martha loved being a mother and spending countless hours playing with Darby. The pair was inseparable, which is why it came as such a surprise that Darby was alone in the yard one summer day in 1879. Martha had gone inside to help a housemaid with a task, leaving Darby outside for only moments. And moments were all the time needed. Darby toddled to a well, falling into the darkness and drowning. They were unable to retrieve Darby's body. The well became her final resting place. It's believed the remains are still in the sealed-off well today. Martha wholeheartedly believed that Darby's death was her fault. 
When she wasn't in bed, house staff members would find her wandering the grounds, a vacant stare on her gaunt face. A trigger warning here, guys, as we continue talking about Martha's grief process. You might want to hit the little fast forward button. Martha's cause of death was listed as grief, January 1890, just six months after the death of her daughter. There were rumors amongst those who worked at the manor that Martha was found in the bathtub, her left wrist slit with Jacob's straight razor. Though officially a statement in the paper said her grief consumed her in her sleep. Martha was just 27 years old. Jacob continued living on the property, allowing his brother Andrew to oversee operations of the mine. Jacob began drinking heavily and few people saw him out in public. Unfortunately, Jacob died from a drunken fall from a horse in 1908 at the age of 49. After his death... We can't help but wonder if something dark moved onto the grounds. The manor set empty until 1915 when it was purchased by Laurel Blake, who was made wealthy when her rich husband Richard Blake died suddenly of, quote, fragile heart, leaving his widow everything. There were many whispers around Essex that Laurel had slipped poor Richard a potion killing him. Many believe that Laurel dabbled heavily in the dark arts. So much so that she built Pan's amphitheater to commune with darkness. Rumors spread quickly through the community that Laurel was a high priestess of a satanic cult who, along with her followers, used the amphitheater stage to summon demons and on occasion the devil himself. When Laurel died in 1939, contractors brought in to maintain the manor property until it sold claimed the stage was stained rusty red from both human and animal sacrifices. During the two and a half decades that Laurel lived at Whitehurst, 26 girls between the ages of 11 and 15 went missing in the area, never to be seen again. Many believe the girls met their fate on pan stage under harvest moons and during rituals summoning demons who we dare not name out loud. Following Laurel's ownership of Whitehurst Manor, perhaps the most famous or infamous owners bought the property. Luca Lucky DeSecco, head of the DeSecco crime family, purchased Whitehurst Manor in 1939 for his daughter Rosa, son Vito, and wife Donatella. This was their safe space removed from the seedy underbelly of the beast that was mafia life. It's believed that Luca didn't spend much time in the family compound at Whitehurst, instead working the business by splitting his time between Chicago and New York, having a girlfriend in both cities. It's believed that his scandalous and not-so-secret relationship with Octavia Laborde, adult daughter of fellow boss Carl Laborde, led to tragedy in the fall of 1941. It was a beautifully warm fall day in New England. Rosa DeSecco played in the side yard with her cocker spaniel puppy. From the woods, shots rang out one after another. Donatella rushed from the house, finding Rosa in a heap on the ground, blood soaking through the girl's blue dress. Nine-year-old Rosa died almost instantly from this unauthorized hit that, as of today, is still unsolved. It's rumored that many men were tortured in the cellar of the main manor house for information on the killer and who ordered the hit on Rosa. Bodies are believed to be buried under the vines in the vineyard. The property has some pretty intense history, but things only grew in intensity with our on-site visit. Here's that recap. 
Anissa met us in front of the main manor building where we parked by a large stone water fountain of cherubs pouring water from vases. She began the tour guiding us along a path towards the woods. A statue of the Greek god Pan streaked with green moss set just at the mouth of the woods as we headed towards the amphitheater. This is where Anissa believes her daughter Lily was lured by an unseen presence. A few months ago, 10-year-old Lily was playing near the Briar Memorial Rose Garden with Bubbles, the family dog, not the soapy floaty things. Anissa was in the garden, handling the upkeep of rose bushes near one of the stone benches. She's unclear how much time passed before she realized that it was quiet. And if you have kids, you know quiet is never a good thing. There was no giggling daughter and no yapping dog. Coming out of the garden, she found the lawn completely empty. She called Lily's name, but there was no answer. The dog and the girl were gone. Jason Markson, the vineyard's viticulturist, heard the yelling and came from a small supply shed. From an outdoor seating area, sommelier Avery Carter and two guests she was serving came to assist Anissa. Jason found Bubbles cowering under a row of grapes in the center of the vineyard. Lily and Bubbles were under no circumstances allowed to play around the vines, so finding him there was a surprise. The dog was so scared that Jason had to carry him back to the carriage house. He explained the experience by saying, Bubbles is high energy. I doubt I've ever seen him stationary. But that day he was frozen, curled up in a tight ball. I called his name, but he wouldn't move. He just watched me. When I picked him up, he was shaking so badly, you'd think it was freezing that day, but it was 80 degrees. I took him back to the carriage house, shutting the door, and he whined and whined, which broke my heart, and I could hear him whining until I was far enough away that I couldn't hear him anymore. I hated to leave him, but we hadn't found Lily yet. Avery and the two guests made their way through the edge of the woods, calling Lily's name. It was along the wood line that one of the guests found a yellow scrunchie with pink stars. Avery uh, recognized it immediately as Lily's. Deeper into the woods, walking down the stone path towards the bottom of the amphitheater tears, Avery heard faint laughter. She described it like the trees were laughing at them, because the sound didn't come from a single direction, but instead like it came from all around at the same time. The group now consisted of Avery, the guests, Jason, and Anissa, moving past the stage of the amphitheater, down a dirt path, leading to a small but fast-moving river. A few feet from the bend in the path that then opened up onto an old bridge to cross the river, Anissa doubled over. It felt like something was stabbing her in the stomach. Lifting her shirt, she found three scratches running from near her belly button towards her right side. Moving slowly, she came to the bridge, and she says she screamed, but wasn't sure if noise actually came out of her mouth. Walking along the narrow, rickety railing of the 100-year-old bridge was Lily. Lily's arms were stretched out to the side, and every few steps she wobbled before catching her balance. Avery describes what she saw. She says, I honestly couldn't believe what I was seeing. Lily up on that broken old railing and the water rushing below her. I knew if she fell, she'd drown before we were able to pull her from the water. Lily's arms were out like this, and her feet took slow steps, her left toe dragging across thin air every time it moved. Before making it to the opposite bank, she turned and made her way back towards us. That's when I saw her face. Oh, I can't shake that look. It was blank. Nothing there. 
no recognition of seeing us. I stepped onto the bridge and something screamed. It wasn't an earthly sound. I don't ever want to hear something like that again. Anissa then began to plead with her daughter, calling her name, begging her to come down. After several minutes, Lily stumbled, looked at her mother, and began falling towards the water. One of the guests, who asked not to be named, grabbed Lily by the arm, pulling her over the railing and off the bridge. After a few minutes wrapped in her mother's arms, Lily spoke, asking where the little girl in the blue dress went. No one had seen another child on the property, but Lily insisted that a little girl with brown curls and a blue dress had asked her to play hide-and-go-seek. She took the girl in the blue dress's hand, and then the next thing she remembered was being in Anissa's arms. Standing on the bank, seeing where this happened, gave us chills. That was the most dangerous potential paranormal encounter we'd heard about from the staff, but it's not the only thing. Here are a few of the others. Guests have reported stall doors in the bathroom rattling violently. A staff member had his shirt pulled while working in the vineyard. A photographer shooting an engagement party captured a picture of a young girl twirling in a dress on the dance floor. There were no children on the guest list, and staff and guests are unsure who the spinning child belongs to. On several occasions in the tasting rooms, staff arrive for the day and find glasses stacked on tables around the room when all glasses had been properly shelved at closed the night before. People report feeling uneasy walking from the amphitheater after evening performances. People have heard footsteps running up behind them on the grounds in the main building and near the amphitheater, but when they turn around, no one's there. There have been reports of yellow eyes looking out from the woods. Cabinet doors in the kitchen at the carriage house open on their own. Reports of a half-goat man shadowy figure standing in the shadows of the tree line. In the main manor house basement, people have smelled cigarette smoke. The office in the manor house was once a bedroom. Often, people will walk into the office and encounter an overwhelming smell of rose. There have been several voices heard from the basement cellar area, but when checked, the area is completely empty. And cell phones are drained of their batteries while in Pan Amphitheater. Here's our investigative recap. We set up our equipment on Saturday late afternoon so we were ready to rock and roll as twilight settled in. Low set up video monitors, walkie-talkies, and set up three research packs in HQ in the carriage house. Our research packs are just backpacks with supplies including K2 EMF meter, SB11 spirit box, digital voice recorder, digital camera, full spectrum video camera, band-aids, because you wouldn't believe the number of times Ford trips over something and bleeds. Truly, she needs a bubble. Two flashlights. Avon Skin So Soft Bug Guard. Not an ad. We just love the stuff because let's face it, our moms used it on us since birth. A walkie-talkie lifeguard whistle because some of us have gotten lost. Okay, I've gotten lost and my walkie-talkie died. And protein bars. Each team got a pack before heading out to investigate. On this investigation, I roamed solo. Prue and Ford investigated the Briar Memorial Rose Garden and the vineyard. Claire and Lark took the Pan Amphitheater and the main manor house. The night was clear. The moon added extra light to navigate the property. Anissa, Lily, and the other grounds and winery employees were all off the grounds until the following morning. So besides the crickets, owls, and various bugs... We were the only ones on the site. 
These are our experiences. I will start things off with my experiences, or really, experience, which I'm still not fully able to comprehend. Sometime around midnight, I was on the front lawn. I couldn't hear the other teams. It was almost eerily quiet. I was using my digital recorder asking questions when I heard something run up from behind me. Turning, I expected to see Lark or maybe a coyote, but I saw nothing. But the running sound pounding the ground got closer until something slammed into me. I know it sounds crazy. One second, I'm fumbling for a flashlight to see what's coming. The next, I'm flat on my butt. The wind knocked out of me. I closed my eyes, breathing in deeply, trying to calm down because having a panic attack when you're a ghost investigator, it's just not cool. When I opened my eyes, things looked hazy, like a fog had moved in out of nowhere. I remember thinking, great, who doesn't need a concussion while investigating ghosts? When I stood, I noticed a car on the circular drive that hadn't been there prior to me getting clotheslined by thin air. Standing, I walked towards the car. It was old, like something you'd see on the show Mad Men or something. An old Buick, maybe. I don't know. After a few steps, I felt a chill run up my left side and then pressure on my left hand like someone was holding it. I freaked out, stopped walking, completely frozen in place. Digital voice recorder still in my right hand, I asked, who are you? Are you okay? There was still a pressure on my left hand and my entire body was freezing like I'd walked into a meat freezer. Looking down towards my left hand, I saw a little girl with curls in her hair, wearing a blue dress, looking up at me. She was almost slightly see-through, but her eyes locked with mine, and I gasped, taking several steps back. Mentally flashing back to the dream of the blue fabric, I'd been dreaming of her. She was the little girl that had come to me in my dream. I blinked several times, and the car was gone, and so was that little girl. The air was thick and warm, no longer even a hint of a chill. The next day, checking my digital recorder audio, I found what I believe is an EVP of the little girl responding to my question. Give the EVP a listen. What do you hear? Did you hear someone saying sorry? I also had bruises on my arms from where I fell. A few other times that night, I heard footsteps around me, but I didn't get them recorded. I'm not sure if I encountered Rosa DeSecco or suffered a mild concussion, but either way, it felt so real. Low in the carriage house. Twice after closing the door when leaving the bathroom, she returned to find the door open. She set up a camera on the door after the second time, but it didn't happen again. Lowe believes that it's possible that the older construction of the house makes it so that the door doesn't latch securely. She's not confident that anything paranormal occurred during her time in the carriage house. Prue and Ford in the Briar Memorial Rose Garden and the Vineyard. The vineyard was fairly quiet, and the ladies didn't spend much time there after getting a stern talking to from Jason about the fragile state of the vines. After about an hour, they moved on to the Briar Memorial Rose Garden. Ford was the first to have an experience. After entering the gates, she was overcome with a strong sense of sadness and felt an ache in her chest like she'd been crying for days. When she exited the garden, the feeling stopped, only to return when she entered the garden again. Prue conducted an EVP session catching two interesting pieces of evidence. Here's the first one. Let's give it a listen. Did that sound like someone crying to you? That's what I thought. And with Ford's strong emotional reaction to the location, 
I confirmed that the sobbing sound captured on the EVP wasn't Ford. Here's the second EVP. What did you hear there? We heard help. Could this be the spirit of Martha asking for help for her daughter? Or is it Darby herself asking for help? What do you think? In the Rose Garden, there's a stone bench with a statue of an angel. Here, both Prue and Ford walked into a cold spot. Lark and Claire and Pan Amphitheater and the main manor house. The main manor house did not provide any evidence of activity. Claire and Lark then shifted their attention to the amphitheater. Both acknowledged feeling very anxious walking towards the amphitheater, which was likely caused by walking into the woods at night. Walking along the path, Lark snapped a photo that appears to show a similar fog to what I noticed in the yard. The picture also has what looks to have captured an orb. Possibly the same orb that both Lark and Claire reported seeing pacing them through the woods at a distance. If you want to see the image, head over to Facebook or Instagram. Our handle is at SleeplessSuburbiaPod. While sitting on the second tier up in the amphitheater, their digital recorder captured this. Let's listen. Do you hear the music playing? No other team member remembers hearing any music that night at other locations, or any location for that matter. On the stage where summer concerts are held and possibly the murder of countless victims at the hand of a dark cult, our team captured the following possible EBP. We hear mumbling or, or chanting. What do you hear? Case wrap up. I can't stop thinking about the little girl in the blue dress. It's almost like she's still with me because several nights since the investigation, she's visited me. It sounds impossible and I know people will call it dreaming, but it's just so vivid. Last night, I woke up from a dream visit from her feeling pressure on my left hand, which hung off the edge of the bed. I think she was holding my hand. We'd like to thank Anissa for inviting us to investigate Whitehurst Winery. Overall, we believe we've captured enough evidence to conclude that there is something paranormal going on at Whitehurst Winery. We've recommended Anissa have a medium come in to help the spirits move to the light and cross over. If you want to check out some of our pictures from Whitehurst Winery case file, listen to the EVPs, and stay up to date with everything happening behind the scenes, you can stay connected with us on Facebook and Instagram. We're at Sleepless Suburbia Pod. We will be back next week with another case. Until then, thanks again for listening to Sleepless in Suburbia. If you enjoy our cases, please make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and make sure to subscribe so you get our new cases each week. Thanks for listening. This case is closed.